I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's Modern League podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas, Ken, and Thomas. How are you guys doing this week? All right. Doing well. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty well. All right. That's good. Um, so let's jump into it right here with Promote Extend Trade. And on this date in 1886... John Pemberton had to change the formula of his patented product, Pemberton's French Wine Colca, because there were some temperance legislations uh, enacted in his native Atlanta. So he removed the wine from the product and he replaced it with carbonated water and Coca-Cola was born. So promote extend trade all the different versions of Coca-Cola that's out there. Uh, past and present. And Ken, I just realized probably you're going to want to trade all of them, huh? Yeah. So I, I don't drink soda anymore, but I do have very strong Coke opinions. So. Okay. Well, that's good then. So yeah, you'll have an opinion then. That's good. All right. So first we'll go with what are we all going to promote? I like get rid I mean, I. I would trade all of them because I just don't like Coke in general. Okay. I, I, I'm the person without the opinion. You thought huh. wrong. <laughs> Does it? Is it just limited to Coke? Are you one of those people that like hates Coke but loves Pepsi? I don't. So I used to drink. I used to drink Coke growing up, uh, but then I kind of a grew out of liking the taste, and b the caffeine just gave me miserable headaches. So uh, they're all the Coke right in the trash. Pepsi just tastes terrible. Also throw it in the trash. Look at like Sprite, cream soda, you know. All right, well. Well, Lucas is the uh, trade everything guy. All right, yeah. well then, everyone except for him. <laughs> um, trying to think, go ahead, Thomas. Trying to think of the last time I had Coke. I usually just have like standard Coke, like just the normal kinds. Um. I did have Coke Zero at a movie theater once, and I liked it, but I don't know if that was just – it was midnight, and I was at a movie theater, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good, or, like, I actually like it. So 
I think I'm going to promote the original normal Coke. I'm going to have to agree. Yeah, I promoted regular Coke, too. Um, I was thinking about the Coke with lemon, which they used to have, which I know I liked, but I was, like, in high school back then, or maybe even junior high school. So I, I feel like I would need to taste it again to think, you know, to, to verify whether or not it was just, like, kid taste buds that was just... Yeah, I got you. Filtering out all the chemicals and, and too much sweetness, whatever, but I just went with regular Coke. And what are we extending? What is our absolute favorite Coke variation here? I'm going to go vanilla Coke. Yeah, vanilla's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty great up until I think they stopped making it or something. Didn't they make like an orange vanilla version and they kept having those ads where those trucks crashed into each other? <laughs> Probably. They, they've they made a orange. lot of sodas. That's the one that I, I was actually... I extended cherry vanilla Coke, which is a flavor. Say, it was a cherry vanilla, maybe? That had that yeah, control. because cherry Coke is my favorite, and vanilla Coke is my favorite, and it would have been like Sophie's Choice having to choose them, but luckily they sell them together, so I'm good. And then what are you guys trading? Just everything else. <laughs> there is an orange vanilla, by the way. I'm on, okay, yeah, I'm not on, crazy. I'm, I'm a big fan of website that right I should I should also clarify that I grew up drinking Diet Coke, and I actually don't like plain Coke. Interesting. Because I'm oh. a fucking psychopath, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Well, Lucas, do you like sweet things in general? Oh, absolutely. I have a okay. horrifically bad sweet tooth. It's a real problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I grew out of the Diet Coke thing, too. Well, I'm trading Diet Coke because I just yeah. hate the fake sugar aftertaste. Uh-huh. I don't it's like because all I, all the other diet sodas taste terrible to me too. Like I can't, I don't drink Diet Sprite. What the hell is that? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. I think they all are pretty bad though. Mm. Like <laughs> most diet drinks, I don't know. I'll get a large cheeseburger and a large fry, and then make it a Diet Coke. You know, gotta watch my waistline. It's the American <laughs> way. I'm on Coke's website right now, and there's something called Coca-Cola Life. Um, oh, is that the thing that there's an ad with uh, uh, Jonah Hill and Martin Scorsese's? It's got like extra caffeine or some something like that. It has a it has a plant-based sweetener in it. Oh, okay, oh, like the like agave sugar stuff. But I do know that that, that there might be Coke Energy, Lucas. Yeah, that, that's it. I think, yeah. It's the Jonah Hill commercial because I've seen that commercial quite a quite a bit. Yep, I clicked on the on the Coke Energy part of Coca Cola's website, and the Martin Scorsese commercial came up. So there it goes. <laughs> also, when if you want to shop Coke on their website, it brings you to Amazon. Of course that's it does. Not, it's not <laughs> of course helpful. it does. You know. <laughs> So I'm in, uh, I have Amazon Pantry open now with all the different types of Coke. <sighs> There's a lot. Yeah. There's more than I realized. Yeah, it's like Kit Kats, like in Japan, how they have all the crazy Kit Kat flavors, but we really don't have any of that here. Same thing with Coke. Some of the stuff that they make in other countries, it, I don't know if it will be good or bad. You know, I don't know if, like, Kiwi Strawberry Coke is good or not, but it just sounds oh, yeah. very interesting. All right. Um, so, with the current lack of baseball to look forward to and everything, I think that our best bet is to look back. And one of the things that we're going to be rolling out soon is a kind of updated feature that Jeffrey Padnoster started a couple of years ago, the Prospect Graveyard. Um you know, the Mets aren't alone in having draft picks and prospects not work out, but maybe it's just confirmation bias or whatever. But it seems like the Mets have had a lot of these failures kind of turn into stories that really color how we remember, how we remember the era. For example, Generation K, you know, it's just supposed to be three pretty good pitching prospects. And they were the guys that were supposed to, t- to turn the, the early 90s team 
the the quote unquote worst team money could buy into a contender. But they fizzled out and they prolonged, you know, that that period of poor play and everything. And now we remember, you know, that mid nineties generation K and it's, you know, an unfortunate thing in, in Mets history. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize how well the, our gener, our current pool of starting pitching prospects actually worked out. Like, yeah, I mean, it really is incredible that nobody really, I mean, who's, who's the worst one you could really think of? Rafael Montero, I guess. Sure. And yeah. he kind of had a little bit of a, of a career resuscitation. I think in Texas yeah. last year. Yeah, he, was so, on, he was on the Rangers last year. Yeah, so I mean, if he is the worst failure of this kind of 2000 pitching, Chris Flexen maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Chris Flexen. Okay. I mean, but, Harvey's kind of a special case, but Harvey had the actual like major league success though, like. Right. Right. That one. And then he had the worst injury. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, you could argue that Matt's never quite made good on some of the hype. Um, Baseball's weird that way to me yeah. because, like, Matt's is clearly a major league caliber pitcher, and it's also kind of disappointing. Like, yep. it's so weird that, like, a dude could be a third, fourth starter and be like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's sad because it yeah. should be more. Um, I mean, even Syndergaard sometimes, like, makes me mad the way he pitches and the way he's performed with the stuff yeah. that he's had. And I don't want to call him a failure because I don't think that's true. But no, I know what you mean though. When you think of Noah Syndergaard, you think of all the insinuations that this is going to be like a Cy Young caliber pitcher. And yeah, like for, from a raw stuff standpoint, he should be like a top five pitcher in the game, and instead mm-hmm. he's a top twenty pitcher in the game, and it feels disappointing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good disappointment, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. right. I mean, it's 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 a it's a. Um, not logical fallacy. That's not the word I'm looking for. It's just like a, a perception thing, right? Like you, you get you set certain expectations and then can't recalibrate. It's very true. Um, you know, so we're we're all prospect guys. Um, it's definitely fun, but one of the the sad parts, I guess, if you want to call it sad, is that you know we we follow guys, we start buying into them, whatever, and then things go wrong. Maybe it's an injury. Not enough talent, whatever, but, you know, the majority of these players don't really make it. And a lot of times, most of the time, they're guys that, you know, you don't have a connection with, but sometimes, though, it is. So going as far back as you guys have really followed the Mets, followed the minors closely, whatever, what is one of, like, your guys, quote unquote, that, you know, just didn't make it? Does anyone want to go first, or should I, or? You should go first. Alright. Um, so one guy that I liked, though it was exciting back in the day, I still kind of joke about now occasionally, is Juan Urbina. Mm. Uh, Met signed him around the time that I first kind of really, like, obsessively started following the Mets. And him and Henry Mejia were like these two young phenoms all the way at the bottom of the system. Um, Urbina was a left-hander, and obviously his his father, Ugeth Urbina, was an all-star, so that kind of made, to me, anyway, Urbina more exciting than Mejia, although obviously Mejia was, and and still is, um, a much better pitcher. And I guess in retrospect, being more familiar with player evaluation and everything in the years since, and then... The whole process being more, like, democratic, I don't know, like, online, like, I can't think of the word, but we have all this information on the internet and whatever, so, you know, that kind of information wasn't really available 10 years ago. I don't I don't think I would have been as hyped on Urbina as I was, you know, the stuff was okay, nothing amazing or anything, though, it was mid to high 80s fastball with, like, an above-average change-up and an average curve, which is solid for a 16, 17-year-old kid. But, you know, nothing to put him on the same level as a guy like Mejia. Um, 
a guy, I guess, in the system right now with similar stuff at a similar age is David Marcano. Uh, and he's not getting anybody particularly excited about him. Um, he, Rubino, you know, maybe the Mets gave up on him a little too early. Um, he was 19 in Brooklyn and Kingsport when they put him in the bullpen and just kind of forgot about him, I guess. Um, mm. But obviously they had more information than me. And obviously it's not like he proved them wrong or anything because he just kind of kept kicked around for a few more years in Brooklyn. And then he got released in 2014 when he was 21. And he hasn't been in baseball since. So I guess it's just like a, a cautionary tale, I guess, that guys don't always develop to the most optimistic uh, projections. You know, optimistically, he would have been uh, a guy to put on more weight, get his fastball to regularly sit in the in the low 90s, and that would complement his secondary stuff better. But in reality, he just never improved. The fastball just kind of stuck in the mid to high 80s, and, you know... You're not really challenging anybody with a, a mid to high 80s fastball. And that's Juan Urbina. No, it's his dad. His dad's the criminal, right? Yes, he okay. was put in Just prison. In, yeah, prison in Venezuela for quite a few years for attempted murder. of. <laughs> that's uh, got to be one of the craziest baseball stories out there. Yeah, I... Off at the top of my head, I think it was like three guys that worked on his farm that he doused in gasoline, threatened with a machete, and threatened to light on fire for doing Jesus something. Christ. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was the son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty really, sure uh, that he's out of prison now. Not a lot of room for interpretation there with that list of uh, <laughs> accusations, you know? Clearly, you don't want to get on his bad side. You won't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> I think I actually saw him when I, on one of the top prospect lists I was coming to when I was looking. Yep, yep, he's one spot above uh, my guy on the Fangraphs uh, 2010 list. Yeah, he was on... Uh... I think he was like our 11th top prospect mm -hmm. in 2010, uh -huh. and R Rob Castellano was still running things, and then like 30th or something like that in 2011. Mm. And if, you know, same thing, like I was kind of saying, if if we had more information about all these players back then, like we do now, then... It's doubtful that he would have maybe been as high as he was, even though the Mets system was really not that great at the time, at the turn of yeah. like the 2010s. But and like I said, a guy like David Marcano, who was signed, I think, not last August, but the year before, and is in the GCL now, or the, no, actually, no, the Dominican, similar kind of very young right-hander, very raw, but, you know, a lot of projection. He's was on no consideration for any top prospects lists, whereas Urbino was because of just the name and and the hype. I wonder how much the name actually helps, like subconsciously. Because, Probably a lot. Yeah, because you th you you just look, you're like, oh, son of a former all star, like that kind of. I wonder how much it colors your thoughts without you even knowing it. And then you just have the literal connection, you know, from yeah. from the, the actual, you know, tangible benefits of it, too. Exactly. All right. Who is another – who's the dude that you guys liked? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go next since, like I said, he's on the same prospect list. Um, so I, I – Really got into baseball in 2006, really, which lined up perfectly with when uh, the Mets brought Fernando Martinez into the system, uh, a.k.a. F-Mart. So he was a signing, a Dominican signing in 2005, uh, and then the hype the hype machine got rolling. And similar to Steve, I think if we had the information we had today, 
uh, young Lucas would have known not to get hype about newly signed uh, 16-year-olds from the Dominican, but uh, you live and learn, right? Um, so F-Mart was highly regarded on his way up, like between the late 2000, in the late aughts, I guess you'd call that. Uh, just hit well in most, uh, hit okay at most levels, but the scouting reports were all exemplary. He was on a top 50 prospect list at BP and Fangraphs. Um, and there was some p- fatigue during the end there. Like, uh, he came up in 2000, at the end of the 2009 season and was pretty awful. Uh, 38 weighted runs created, which, uh, that's not, not great. Um, same similar story in 2010 when he got another cup of coffee with the Mets. Uh, and, and what really happened is the injuries got to him. So his knees just were totally shot, sapped a lot of his athleticism, a lot of his speed, his ability to play defense at a reasonable level, and uh, ultimately his his baseball ability as a whole. Um, so he kicked around with the Mets for a couple years. He never really got an extended chance, but also wasn't doing a whole lot in AAA. Uh, then he went to the Astros where he had one season where he got 130 plate appearances and was very slightly above average. Um, but they didn't hold on to him after that. He went to the Yankees, uh, uh, and then got suspended for the whole biogenesis thing, which if you remember is the, uh, the steroid scandal that caught A-Rod and, uh, a couple other guys up in that. Presidential advisor A-Rod. Right, right, right. President, uh, hey, Rod, uh, how do I deal with this uh, pandemic, you know, cause you definitely understand. Um, so after, after that suspension, he, I don't know that he ever appeared in, in, uh, affiliated ball again. I know he went down to the Mexican league for a little bit in 2015, but that was only for seven games and he hasn't played since. So just another prospect who was really ravaged by injuries and, uh, I mean, I hope his knees aren't too, too bad now because that's not something that gets better as you age. No, definitely not. At the, at the time, he was like, it was like a big deal. Like, F-Mart was supposed to be a big deal. Um, and he kind of, if you, if you were a new fan who got caught up in that 2006 run and then you are like, well, okay, now I'm into the team. What else do I uh, get excited about? Like, oh, well, here's this new prospect that you can just uh, dream on for the next five years. And uh didn't work out so great, unfortunately. I'm actually no. looking at the uh, the BP 101 from 2009 where F-Mart was 44th. It's a trip. There are a lot of, a lot of names on this set that don't make a lot of sense in retrospect. <laughs> So, Such as? <laughs> uh, well, Weeders first, fine. Price Bumgarner, then Pedro Alvarez third, Travis Snyder fifth. Oh, yeah, Not Pedro great. Alvarez was a big deal. Oh, he was. Yeah, yeah I remember um, him being in prospect circles. Yeah. I remember him being a big prospect. Uh, Colby Rasmus at eight. I remember being so certain that Colby Rasmus was going to be a monster and just never worked out. Um, Cameron Mabin at 11th. Uh, I thought he was going to be good. And the biggest he has, like, bu- he's had a solid career, but yeah, he's sort of kicked around for a while. The biggest bust here is probably uh, uh, Lars Anderson at seventeen. That uh, that didn't work out so well, mm. uh, or at all. Jeez, Craig Hallman at forty-two. I've never even heard that name before. <laughs> well, it says it all, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Ben Revere was a top 40 prospect? What? Lars okay. Anderson was the Red Sox prospect, right? I'm, I'm back a little Lars bit. Anderson, yeah, he's the first base prospect for the Red Sox and just never hit, really. Yeah, I, I remember him. Uh, the three guys in front of, or the four, uh, F. Mart was 44. Ahead of him is, just ahead of him, J.P. Aaron Subia, Greg Hallman, Carlos Carrasco, and just behind him, Will and Rosario, Austin Jackson. And then Angel Villalona, no idea who that is. <laughs> nope. Who are these people? <laughs> so. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, F. Mart was supposed to be the, the next, you know, him and, him and Lasting's Millage were supposed to be like these two star outfielders. Yeah. That, Millage was who I almost picked. Uh, I was close to picking Millage because I remember being a kid and being like, oh yes. Like, I was, like, 
12 in 2006, so I was like, hell yeah, these are the, this is the future, <laughs> without really knowing anything, because why would I? Just like hearing their names and stuff. You know, Lucas, you mentioned not getting burned by all these young Dominicans, mm-hmm. but yet I'm, I am going to mention that you are the one that ranked Adrian Hernandez and Stanley Consuegra. Two young hitting outfielder Dominicans. <laughs> Steve, 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 uh, are you implying that I should have learned from my mistakes? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure that's not allowed here. Uh, 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 uh yeah, that 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 didn't happen. <laughs> well, yeah, imagine what a good F Mart. What what a difference he could have made in. Yeah. You know. And he's not even one of those ones where it's a scouting fa- failure. It's like very clearly an injury thing. Now it could have also been a scout- scouting failure, but we'll never know. Also, if any of us learned from our mistakes, we would no longer be Met fans. So it's like that uh, very paradoxical point. that uh, uh, we would learn from our mistakes. That is a very, very, very good point. I'm trying to remember, but didn't um, the Twins want F Mart? In the Johan deal? Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure like, that we were like, able to switch out Carlos Gomez instead. Yeah, and it was like a big like win for the Mets at the time because it was like you Oops. got Johan and you didn't really – and you kept F-Mart. And it's like, well. <laughs> what was that full package? It was Gomez, Humber, Dialis Guerra, and uh... – Kevin Mulvey. Right, right. That's it. That's it. Which is like a whole bunch of yikes really. Hey, Philip Humber threw a no-hitter. <laughs> Did he throw a perfect game? Oh, I don't remember. I'll look it up right now. Anyway. But yeah, I guess all of them are questionary tales that prospects don't always pan out. It was a perfect game. When you have the ability to trade a bunch of kind of okay prospects for a Cy Young caliber pitcher, do it. I will. I will say we are our prospect information is def, definitely much better now. Yes, I think that's also something that gets ignored a lot of the times when people are arguing about trading top prospects. Like, well, in two thousand eight, we traded five top ten guys. It's like, well, in two thousand eight, the top ten list was garbage. That's <laughs> <laughs> literally nothing. But also, like the when, like sometimes they just won't work out anyway. Yeah, like, you really never know. Yeah, it's it sounds like such a cop out to say, well, you're not going to know how these players pan out, but you really won't. Like, it's entirely possible you look stupid, and it's entirely possible you look like you made the deal of the century. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's there. There is no rhyme or reason. All right, who is up next? Um, I could go because mine is a recent player. Um, Colby Woodmancy, or Woodmancy, which way is it pronounced? Anyway, Woodmancy, I believe. It, it, it's Woodmancy. That's what I always like thought because it made more sense to me that way. But um, the Mets drafted him in the fifth round in 2016, so this is very recent, and he is already out of the organization. So <laughs> that that's all you pretty much need to know about how his career went. But I remember liking him because he hit in college, like he was – I think he was Arizona State's best player, pretty much, like their best hitter. And it's just one of those things to me. It's very cut and dry. Like, he hit pretty well in college, and then in the minors, he has a career slash line of 213, 268, 276. Or, yeah, 213, 268, 276. So it just doesn't always carry over from a metal bat league with worse players to a professional league with better players. Like, it sounds very obvious, but it's one of those things where I think he's the type of person that makes you take a step back when you're looking at college kids hitting like 300, and it's like, well, that doesn't mean that they're good at the major league at the minor league level. It just means that they could hit at the college level. So it's one of those things where he had definite like question marks with like how much he pulled the ball. I think it was and like how like he wasn't really like a super good athlete, but like. He hit at the level that he was at, so the Mets took a swing on him and it failed miserably. So it's just one of those things that I think it's a cautionary tale that's good to remember when you're talking about the draft, which 
is still happening in a shortened version. But yeah. And talking about learning from our mistakes, the Mets clearly did not. No, they draft this guy all the time. Like, <laughs> like th- th- this is the type of do that they keep going back to the well for, and it's like the opposite of what you should be going back to the well for. But... Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of not having played baseball in any kind of real competitive way I think that a lot of people don't really realize how different college baseball with a metal bat is as compared to then professional baseball with a wood bat. Yeah. You, I mean, it really makes such a difference in the power department. You can hit balls for miles by accident with a metal bat. Like, if you just get good bat speed on it, it'll go. I remember watching Woodman see because he played – yeah, in the same league as Cal when I was there. Uh, the dude just like didn't use his lower half at all. No. And would hit bombs. Cause he was strong upper half and a metal bat, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, mm, no, that's not good. So I, I liked him too. I thought, hey, well, maybe they can just make him use his lower half. That shouldn't be that hard. Mm, no. Yeah. His best season was in Brooklyn and he hit 257. Like, not great. It just didn't work out. <laughs> I wonder though that I wonder though if there was something else behind the scenes that we don't know about because I mean he was drafted in 2016 and he was already or out of the organization in 2018. Yeah. And mm-hmm. no, he wasn't particularly good. Um, in, but to just the, DFA a dude. Yeah, yeah. So quickly. I think he works for like Trackman now, or something. I remember there was a guy, I guess it is him, yeah, that did go work for an analytic place that recently retired. So, yeah, I guess it is him. That's cool. Yeah, that's a good uh, way to turn it around and still get a way a way of life out of baseball. Mm-hmm. All right, and Ken, who is, uh, <laughs> who is your disappointment? Uh, my disappointment is uh, another you know, medical case. Um, Cameron Plank, whom the Mets drafted with their 12th selection in the 2016 draft. Um, And he was famously the pitcher that um, they gave a million dollars to after Anthony Kay. Um, You know, it was revealed that Anthony Kay needed to have Tommy John. Um, So I think... Kay took about like a $900,000 bonus cut and it was just all given to Plank at the last minute to get him to sign um, and forego his you know, commitment to, to Louisville. Um, yeah, I remember thinking, well, cool. They nabbed another one of these guys. A certain amount of them are going to pan out. You know, uh, this unfortunately did not end up being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um before he even, I'm pretty sure before he threw, like off of like a professional mound, he tore something in his shoulder uh, and had to miss an entire season plus rehabbing, and then um, came back and threw like an inning, and then got hurt again before finally retiring this year after trying to ramp up again. It, just not working. So, um, I guess <clears throat> the more of these guys you draft, eventually one will work out. Uh, but prep pitchers are risky for a reason. So, did any of the prep pitchers the Mets drafted in that range? Because they did it every year for a couple of years, and I don't think any of them worked out. I mean, they had a, a little bit of luck up front with like Gizelman. Um, yeah. <laughs> Define success. <laughs> like, yeah, Flexen was one of these guys. Um, since I started doing, I I want to say in 2016 they drafted from high school pitching Matt Cleveland in the tenth round, Cameron Plank in the eleventh round. Garrison Bryant in like the 18th round and Trent Johnson in like the 30th round or something like that. 
And of those guys, Trent is gone. Where's Trent? <laughs> um, Cleveland is not particularly great. You know, he was like okay in Brooklyn this year. Um, Plank has retired. And Bryant was pretty solid in Brooklyn, but his stuff is kind of, it, it's more of like a Brooklyn mirage, really, I think, than uh, great stuff. So, not a great year for prep pitching that the Mets picked. Yeah, it's always so risky. I feel like there's, there's like 100 failed cases before you hear like the one really good prep pitcher that you end up getting. But yeah, still, I mean, like, take those swings. I don't yeah, like yeah. Oh, yeah. Swings. And Plank, I, was, his, I liked Plank the best out of all of them. He had a pretty solid, like, you know, low to mid-90s fastball. Um, I think it's it was very, like, wispy. Yeah. Like, wiry, yeah. you know? He had a kind of funky delivery. Um, definitely a lot to like. I really wanted him to work out so I could make physics jokes in the minor league recaps and then the major <laughs> league ones. Of course. Because no, no, everyone would have been looking at me like I'm speaking fucking Greek, which, you know, <laughs> possibly. Oh, if, if someone doesn't know who Max Planck is and doesn't know basic physics, then that's probably not good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess there are probably more people out there that don't than do. Mm. Which, again, is not good. It might explain some of our current predicaments when you think about it, but that's another podcast. <laughs> I'll call A-Rod, he knows. Ah, yeah, that's it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Um, so these are just kind of guys. There's variation on the amount of talent that they had, but I don't think that any of them would have ever been considered by anybody to be, like, the next big thing, you know? Um in their history, though, the Mets do have a sad story of the next big thing not making it. And for the people who are regular listeners, you might remember that Ken spoke about him at length a few months ago in Oh Yeah, That Guy. And because the anniversary of his death is actually this week on March 31st, I thought it would be a kind of fitting tribute to, to celebrate the 19th anniversary of his death by talking about him a bit more. And by him, I mean Mets prospect Brian Cole. So back in the late 90s, everything, you know, seemed like it was finally going the Mets' way. They didn't win any World Series, obviously, but they had some pretty good teams in 97 and 98. And then they made the playoffs in 99 and 2000. So things were going good at the MLB level. And then in the minors, things were going pretty well too, because even though they were winning, the Mets also were drafting and developing a bunch of top prospects in baseball um, over that couple-year span. A lot of them didn't work out, like we were just discussing, but from like 97 to 2000 or so, in in the, in the baseball's top prospect um, list, you had guys like Alex Escobar, Jay Payton, Octavio Dotel, Grant Roberts, Pat Strange, and then... Of course, and probably better than all of them was Brian Cole. And he was born in Meridian, Mississippi, which randomly I've actually been to in passing. And he was from a family of athletes. His dad was a a semi-professional baseball player. 
one of his brothers played in college and one of his other brothers played in college and then he played in the Braves minor league system in late 80s and early 2000s and Brian probably looked the least like a baseball player as compared to them Brian was only 5'9 and weighed 170 pounds which is obviously very atypical for baseball but uh, you know athletically and talent wise and everything he was the best out of all of them. He played football and baseball in high school, and he set records that still stand today, you know, some 20 years later. And he got football scholarships, but he really wanted to play baseball, so he turned them down. And in 1997, the Tigers drafted him. He was selected in the 36th round, but they lowballed him. They offered him just $5,000, so he turned them down. And he went to Navarro College, which is a, a JUCO in Texas. And he had an insane season. Uh, in 60 games, he hit 524 with 27 home runs and 49 stolen bases. Oh, is that so, all? Yeah. I mean, it's basically uh, it's like a home run every other game, basically. <laughs> Understandably, Baseball America named him the Junior College Player of the Year. And then in 1998, when the Mets uh, were drafting, they, they made an agreement with him, and they selected him in the 18th round. And they signed him for $100,000, which, you know, money is different and everything between now and then, but probably still kind of a, a lowball uh, amount there for what they got, especially. His first year was in uh, 1998, and he played in Kingsport, and he hit 300, 317, 491 in 56 games with five homers and 15 stolen bases. Um. Just for a little bit of comparison, Brett Beatty was also a 19-year-old in Kingsport last year, but he was fresh out of high school as opposed to Cole, who was um, spent a year at JUCO. But Beatty hit 222, 339, 437 in 42 games with six homers and no stolen bases. So very similar stats. And, you know, Beatty uh, is in in the top 10 uh, on pretty much every single Mets top prospect list. So Cole you know, was that caliber of a, of a prospect, a, a top guy in the system. He started the 1999 season with the Capital City Bombers, which was the Mets' Sally affiliate at the time. And in 125 games, he hit 316, 362, 522, with 18 homers and 50 stolen bases. Pretty good. Jeez. And then he was promoted to St. Lucie in 2000, and he put up basically the same numbers in a tougher environment. He hit 312, 356, 528, and 91 games with 15 homers and 54 stolen bases. He got promoted to Binghamton near the end of the year. He wasn't really able to keep up that kind of crazy pace, but the numbers were still encouraging. Um, in 46 games in Binghamton, he hit 278, 326, 420 with four homers and 15 stolen bases. I kind of was quickly looking for a guy in recent memory that had similar numbers in Binghamton to compare him, like I did with Beatty, but I couldn't find anybody off the top of my head. But suffice to say that, you know, if a player in Binghamton had those kind of numbers, we would be considering them, again, a top prospect in this system now. He flew up the system, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was talented. He had that kind of, you know, he was he yeah. had the... The numbers and the stuff to back it up. No, oh, yeah, of course. I'm not saying he shouldn't. Oh, yeah. It's just um, it's wild how fast he moves. Mm-hmm. He was the minor league player of the year in in 2000 because of that crazy uh, production in St. Lucie and then kind of continued in Binghamton. And he had, a, you know, he was the minor league player of the year. He got honored at Chase Stadium, all that, all that good stuff. And it was only really going to be a matter of, of when he was going to become a regular at Shea. And he hit well in spring training in 2001, but he was assigned back to Binghamton. Um, presumably, he would have spent, you know, maybe the beginning of 2001 season in Binghamton, and then he probably would have been sent to the Norfolk Tides in like May or June, kind of how uh, Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil were last year. Um, I don't really think that he would have made the major leagues, at least not in any kind of non-cup of coffee capacity, because in 2001, the Mets outfield wasn't the best, 
But, you know, Benny Agbayani, Jay Payton, Timo Perez, they were all still kind of young. So you needed to see what they still had and let them play. So I don't think that Cole would have uh, made the jump to the majors that year. But after he left spring training, he was driving back to his hometown, Meridian, and somebody basically almost sideswiped him while he was driving. So he kind of swerved to to avoid getting hit by that car. And he was driving on the, the grassy uh, median in between the road, and he was driving a Ford Explorer, and it flipped and it rolled. And unfortunately, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and he was ejected from the car. And he didn't die right there, but he did uh, uh, die a few hours later. And, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't his fault that, you know, the other driver entered his lane. And it wasn't his fault that SUVs, certain models, are, are prone to rolling over. But he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. And you, you got to wear your seatbelt. I, I think that the government and, you know, just people in charge have done a pretty good job of instilling in everyone that you should always wear your seatbelt. Because I know when I was, like, younger, like, you know, cool people didn't wear their seatbelts. But nowadays, I mean, it's, like, just an automatic thing, not even a question. Everyone just puts your seatbelt on, and, and it's not even a thought. But, yeah, it's – if he was wearing a seatbelt, he probably would not have died because he had a passenger in the car, his cousin, who was wearing a seatbelt, and he just escaped with minor injuries. And, you know, it's a terrible thing he died. Um, seemed like a pretty good guy. But, you know, we, we know him as a baseball player, and this is a Mets podcast after all, so we kind of look at things in a, in a baseball um, prism and imagine how things might have played out if he didn't die. He probably would have made his debut in, like, 2002. Jose Reyes came up in 2003. David Wright came up in 2004. You know, imagine how things might have gone if if Cole established himself as a major leaguer and was able to produce at half of those minor league numbers that he was able to put up. You know, 2006, seven, eight, that have all been pretty different, you know? Yeah, have him out there in left field instead of... Uh... Brian Church. Yeah. an 80... I was going to say in 2006 instead of Andy Chavez, but actually that worked out. So uh, <laughs> That did work, yes. <laughs> Who's in right field at that point? Sean Green? I think, yeah. yeah. They traded for him at the end of 2006. Yeah, I think so. It was like a deadline acquisition, I think. He was pretty good down the stretch, if I remember correctly. Or was that to – no, he was in the playoffs. He was in the playoffs. In I know he was – he, he definitely was in the playoffs in the 2006. Yeah. And in 2007, they had Moises Alou, who was hurt majority of the year. He could still hit when he was healthy, but yeah. He could. They had Cliff Floyd, too. Cliff Floyd, yeah. I mean, it's not like... It's not that like lineup the Mets, was stacked. Holy yeah. Christ. It's not like the Mets did not have any outfielders. I mean, you had Carlos Beltran in center, you know, was, a, was a, a rock. So you always had that covered. And they had, you know, solid guys, be it Cliff Floyd, Moises Alou... Ryan Church, he was solid for a bit. Um, Xavier Nady was solid for a bit. Fernando Tatis was solid for a bit. But you could have, you know, if, if Cole had established himself and was a, a pretty good player, you could have used the, 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 those players as guys on the bench. Or you yeah. could have used the resources that were used to either trade for them or sign them for other needs, you know, things like that. And it, it changes the whole dynamic of the mm-hmm. of the team. It bumps everyone down, which just makes the depth stronger. I mean, the the half inning after Andy made that catch, he came up with the bases loaded and did nothing. Maybe you have an actual hitter up there, and that's different. Mm-hmm. Plus, he was amazingly speedy. I mean, imagine him and Reyes, the amount of havoc they would have been able mm-hmm. to cause on the base pass. That would have been fun. Mm-hmm. That lineup was just stupid good, I'm remembering. Like, Jose Valentin was probably the only, was probably the worst hitter, and he had an above average year. He was good that year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Who was supposed to play, uh, second? Uh, I don't was remember. It Kaz Matsui. Oh, and he, okay. 
In 2006? Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Because I remember Valentin being like a emergency option, and then he just hit, and he played well, and they just kept him there. Yeah, Kaz was still the starting short, uh, was still the starting second baseman. And I think like two weeks into the season or, or a month, whatever it was, they were just like, all right, we're just done here. <laughs> it worked out though, so. Yeah. That's, I, I think that, you know, I'm not to get too much sidetracked here, but like so many things worked out that really should not have on those teams. And yet, you know, here we are. You know, a guy like Jose Valentin was just a scrap heap pickup, and he had an amazing season. Andy Chavez, same thing. Um, you know, Oliver Perez uh, pitched the freaking right. game of his life in Game Seven and lost anyway. Yeah. yeah, just so much. The stars just aligned constantly, and just nothing. It just slipped through their fingers. <sighs> but yeah, so the the moral of the story is always wear your seatbelt. Mm-hmm. For real. Extremely preventable. All right. Uh, does anyone have any last words for the week? Aside from always wear your seatbelt. Stay at home. Don't be an idiot. Yes. Stay home. Yep. Good advice. Yep. All right. Um, so if anyone has any questions or comments, you can email us at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter. I am at Steve Seifer. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSDN. Subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And rate and review it. And obviously, thank you for listening. And same thing like last week. Now that there is no baseball going on for the foreseeable future, if there's anything you'd like to hear topic-wise or, or whatever, you could send us emails uh, Add us on Twitter or write in the comment section on the podcast post what you'd like to hear about. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.